our sermon is going to be based on the book of Acts as we've been running through uh, the book of Acts uh, uh, from the beginning of, of, of this year. And today we are specifically going to focus on the book of Acts chapter 9 uh, from verse 1 to 31. Acts chapter 9 from verse 1 to 31. And, and the whole of this scripture uh, or chapter uh, up to that level is basically focusing on the conversion of, of soul. So I'll, I'll read from the NIV uh, version. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who come on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales 
fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? Among those who called on his name, among those who call on his name, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in, in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. But believing that he really was, not believing that he really was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word that we've read. And Father, we pray that as we go through it, may you minister to us through these scriptures. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. The beauty about scripture that is usually very clear and plain and white, and the beauty about, uh, we've been focusing on expositional preaching, where you specifically focus on the word and expound on the word of God. And let's just do a bit of a recap um, about um, this, uh, the verses, the chapters before this. And we've been, if you've been following, uh, you've seen that there's been a lot of persecution and, and, and many uh, Christians who are being persecuted. Um, at the end of, of this, going through these uh, scriptures, we'll be looking at who Saul was or who he is. We'll look at Saul on the road to Damascus. We'll also see how God ministers to Saul through Ananias, and finally look at his 
initial ministry in Damascus and Jerusalem. So as a way of recapping, so many Christians had fled Jerusalem um, when persecution began just after uh, uh, Stephen's death, and they were seeking refuge in other cities and, and, and countries. Um, Saul tracked them down and was even traveling miles and miles away to Damascus in Syria to bring Christians back in chains to Jerusalem. But as he neared um, the ancient city, he discovered that God had other plans for him. And so, I'm just going to be inviting us to walk through this scripture. And I want us to consider it like those 31 chapters as the big tree with branches. And so there's a key message in this scripture, but the other smaller messages that God will be sharing with us and bring it to our attention as we speak, just like the branch feeds into the main trunk of, of the tree. So who, who, who was Saul before all this? No person apart from Jesus himself uh, shaped the history of Christianity like the Apostle Paul. Even before he was a believer, his actions were quite significant. And his frenzied persecution of Christians just after Stephen's death got the church started in obeying Christ's final command to take the gospel worldwide. So even though he was doing quite the, the opposite, but he contributed quite significantly. And we'll be looking at how that uh, happened. Paul was very religious. Uh, his, his training under Gamaliel was the finest available, and his intentions and efforts was sincere. He was, he was just a good Pharisee who knew the Bible and, and sincerely believed that this Christian movement that was happening was dangerous to Judaism. And, and Judaism was basically characterized by a belief in, in one, one transcendent God who revealed himself through Abraham, Moses, and the Hebrew prophets. And the Judaism also believed in a religious life in accordance with the scriptures and uh, um, the, the rabbinic traditions. Basically, Judaism emphasized on the oneness of God, and, but rejected the Christian concept of God being in human form. And so this is what Paul was trying to fight for. So Paul hated the Christian faith and persecuted Christians without mercy. Uh, until Paul's conversion, little had been done about carrying the gospel even to the non-Jews. Uh, Philip had uh, preached in Samaria and to the Ethiopian man. Uh, Cornelius, a gentile, was converted under Peter. Some Greeks had joined the believers 
when Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to check on, on this situation, he went to Tarsus to find Paul and to bring him to Antioch. And together they worked among believers. So we see that Paul was this religious person. He didn't just believe that what was happening, he believed that what was happening was against Judaism and was, was having an impact in Judaism. And so that's why he really hated uh, the Christians. Let, let's look at um, scripture by scripture this morning and we'll learn lessons uh, as the Lord uh, leads us through the scriptures this morning. And so let's read the book, uh, the same scripture we've read, verses 1 to 2. Again, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. But if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Look at how Paul hated the Christians. The Christians fled, but he was still pursuing them, even where they had gone, very many miles away. He was so zealous for Jewish beliefs that he began a campaign a persecution campaign against any, anyone who believed in Christ, anyone who belonged to the way. And if you cross-reference scripture on Acts chapter 8, verse 3, if you look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3, the Bible says, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This is the extent through which Paul just didn't, uh, so later called Paul, didn't like the Christian faith. Let's move a little bit to verses 3 and 9 of the same chapter. And I just want us to walk slowly um, through these scriptures. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Soul, soul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, replied now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Church, we see something begins to happen to the same soul 
And on his way to Damascus, he encounters God. As Saul traveled to Damascus, persecuting Christians, he was confronted by the risen Christ and brought face to face with the truth of the gospel. Actually, thought, Saul thought he was persecuting the heretics, the people who he believed were doing right, uh, the opposite of what he believed in, but was actually persecuting Jesus himself. And Jesus say, tells him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What is the lesson here? Anyone who persecutes believers today is also guilty of persecuting Jesus. Is that familiar? Anyone who persecutes believers today is also guilty of persecuting Jesus. And this is illustrated in Matthew chapter 25 from verse 40 to 45, which says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cast into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Key lesson there, when you persecute believers, it's as good as persecuting Christ himself. Christ uh, feels that. Paul refers to this experience as the, the start of new life. He's on his way to Damascus, he's going, he's charged. And I can imagine he's fired up and ready to go to arrest these people with those letters. He's been given permission to go and arrest. Paul did not see a vision, but he encountered the risen Christ himself, head on. You'll call it head on. And we see that that encounter, during that encounter, a few things happen. One, Paul falls to the ground, or soul. So sorry, I'll allow me, I'll use it interchangeably. I'm referring to the same person. Paul fell to the ground, and then we see that Paul tried to open his eyes, and he could not see. The other third thing that happened is that he was blind for three days and could not drink or eat anything. And I can imagine what Paul 
Try imagining what Paul was going through. For three days, you can't see, you're not drinking or eating anything. Paul was actually praying during this period. And, and what, what can we pick from this as well? There are seasons when you're in that waiting mode. You can imagine Paul has encountered God and nothing is moving yet. And he spends these three days waiting on what next. And as he was doing that, he was praying. Imagine two hours without you seeing Imagine a day. Uh, there was a time, and thanks to God, I was healed. There was a time I lost taste. So don't look at me. <laughs> and I, I, and I, I could not taste. I lost the sense of taste, and I lost the sense of smell for one week. It's the most stressful time of my life, the things that we take for granted. <laughs> and you see meat, and you're not sure that it is meat. You have to be told that this one is meat. Paul is in a season where he doesn't know what's going to happen next and is waiting on God. And there are those seasons in your life when you are just, things seem to be stuck. You try to look at the left side, nothing, darkness. You look on the, on the east, west, north, things look dark. But what, what was Paul doing at this time? He was praying and waiting on God. And we will see what then happens as he was praying. Just, just uh, a sidebar as we look forward to just learning the key message so are you at that stage where things look bleak trust him he work as you're praying god works behind the scenes and we'll see how god was working behind the scenes as paul encountered christ true conversion comes with a personal encounter with jesus christ and leads into a new life in relationship with with god now paul saul who was going to persecute is actually now spending time praying after an encounter with god if i was a nigerian i would say see god <laughs> see god look at our god when you encounter god there is a change Amen? When you encounter God, there is a change. That's for sure. You no longer remain the same. And you can see in, 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 in the story of, of Paul. Let's read verses 10 to 14. And so in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord came to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Street Street and ask for a man who is a man from Tarsus named Saul. 
for he is praying. There is a connection that as as as, as Saul was praying, God spiritually connects with Ananias and say there's someone praying the other side. In a vision, he has seen a man. So he's telling him he has seen, he's telling Ananias he has seen a man, and that man is you. And Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done for your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from chief priest to arrest all who come in your name. Look at how God is working. Paul is praying. He reached uh, in that process. God speaks to Ananias, confirming that Paul is Saul is praying and he needs to be ministered to. Isn't that reassuring that when we are praying, God is doing something? Do you think even Paul or Saul was aware of what was, what was happening? But God connects the two and is ministered to as he, he prayed. So God speaks to Ananias through a vision, and God instructs Ananias to go to the house of Judas and ask for Paul. As I've said, something to note there that Paul was praying and also saw the same vision where Ananias was instructed to come and restore his sight. Brethren, God answers prayer. And in this case, he uses Ananias to answer, we observe spiritual connection. There are times when we say, uh, though we are physically apart, but we are together in spirit. This is an example. So as you pray in the spirit, God connects and works things in the spiritual realm. So as you pray, would you trust God that he is doing something behind the scenes? Wait on him. Trust in him. He's doing something. Ananias was seen to indicate that it was not possible to convert. There was a bit of doubt. Knew, is that the same soul you are sending me to? Ananias almost felt he had caused so much trouble and was dangerous. Um, have you ever felt... Like there are people that cannot be redeemed. That there are people that cannot change. God, you are telling me that that guy, that thief, uh, that caretaker, no, that landlord, that one cannot, is irredeemable. And sometimes we've made these confessions. But God, look at the life of Saul before he encountered God. He was such a dangerous guy. And when he encounters God, he changes. Are there people in your life that you've zoned and you've classified them that as if they're people who are not, cannot be redeemed? Are there such people? There are people you see and you say, I remember 
when I, I was in, in campus, um, there was a friend of mine who would say, Marvin, I, I, I know there is a God. But the day I'll, I'll see, so we, there was a friend of ours who was, uh, uh, used to drink a lot and he would uh, sleep on the trenches uh, and lose himself. He said, the day so and so will give his life to Christ, then even me, I'll give my life to Christ. And sometimes, knowingly or unknowingly, you've zoned people and saying, this person cannot be redeemed. And sometimes they are the biggest persecutors. If you watch the news, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, there's that group of people who didn't believe in the existence of Christ. And they kept on saying so many things. What did God do with one of the leaders? He actually gave his life to Christ. After for so many years confessing that God did not now that is our God. That is the God we serve. And when you encounter him, there is change. I just want to emphasize, when you encounter him, there is change and there is evidence of change. And maybe it is not someone else. Maybe you looked at yourself and said, I'm, I cannot be redeemed. The things that I've done, I, I don't think God can look at me twice. Brethren, we serve a God of an amazing grace. An amazing grace. That even though your sins, what they say is, is as dark as what? Yes. He can still change you. He can still give you a second chance. He's a God of second chances. Not just second, third, fourth, countless times. So perhaps you're here and you've been looking at your circumstance, said, I have done so much. I cannot be redeemed. I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. May I submit to you this morning that God loves you. And the reason why Christ died on the cross was for you and myself. And, and God is inviting you, telling you that my son, my daughter, I love you. Allow me to work through you. If he did that for Paul, if he did that for Saul, he can do it for you. We must not limit God, he can do anything. We must obey, just as even though Ananias doubted, what did he do eventually? He obeyed. Even when he leads us to difficult people and places, and one day he lead you to that person that you don't want to minister to, to that place that you don't want to minister to. Last time we were talking about comfort zones. It can remove you from your comfort zone to minister to that person that he's called you to minister to. And so would you allow God to direct your path? Allow him to lead you to 
the people that he'd want you to minister to. Those people that you've zoned, that say that one cannot see heaven. The thief, remember on the cross, on the very last minute, God gave him a chance. God can give you a chance. Is it that brother? Is it that sister? Trust God for him. He can be redeemed. He can be redeemed. God can work through his life. Moving on swiftly, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for me. You know, we, we serve a God whose ways are just beyond our ways. You know, he chooses him and uses him as an instrument. And he says he would suffer for me, for his glory. Ah. <laughs> wow. What is the lesson you're learning here? That faith in Christ brings great blessings, but also there are challenges. And you can see that Paul would suffer for his faith. And even boasts, Paul boasts about his suffering in 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 23-27. And he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 flashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. He's boasting about his suffering. Would we serve the Lord in gladness, even, even despite of the challenges? God calls us not to commit, uh, um, calls us to commitment and not to comfort. But the beauty is that he promises to be with us through suffering and hardship, but not to spare us from them. But even, even though, that even though we walk through the valley, the shadow of death, God is there with us. That's a promise he has given. 
Um, I hope I'm, let me just, I think I have a, a few more minutes. Just excuse, give me a few more minutes uh, so that we just hear what uh, the Lord is telling us uh, this morning. Let's read verse 17 and 19. The Bible says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales framed from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Oh, look at Ananias. He's saying, he's greeting Saul so lovingly. He's calling him Brother Saul. <laughs> it's not always easy to love others, uh, especially when we are afraid of them or doubt their motives. Okay? Nevertheless, we, we, we must follow Jesus' command. And he even says in John 13 verse 34, a new command I give to you, love one another as I loved you. So, so you must love, sorry, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Saul's sight is restored and is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is baptized. He eats and regains his strength. The key words here that he is restored, he is renewed, he is a new creation. A tech note, Saul then spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. We see after this process, he spends time um, with the disciples in Damascus and just to learn uh, from them and to be ministered to. In verses 20 to 21, immediately after receiving his sight and spending some time with the believers in Damascus, Saul went to the synagogues to tell the Jews about Jesus Christ. And Saul started witnessing, telling what the Lord had done. If you look into chapter, verses, sorry, verses 22. Verses 22, we see a different person. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is Christ. Saul has changed. Saul's arguments were so powerful, he was so brilliant, he was a brilliant scholar. He skilled, he channeled his skill in serving God. Remember, he was even ready to go and persecute. He was already a missionary, but he was only doing missionary for the wrong thing. <laughs> he was going out, send me. But this skill of Paul is not wasted. His background is not wasted. And he, at 360 degrees turnaround, he uses those same skills to serve God. So God did not waste any part of Paul's background, his training, his mind or even his weaknesses he channels that for his glory what is your strength or weakness God has deposited something in you as a person would you channel it to serving God 
Are you a good teacher? God is reminding us, channel that to the service of God. Are you a good singer? Channel that. So probably you used to sing. Maybe you sing, you used to sing in the secular space. When God, you meet God, He changes you. But you can still use that gift for His glory. In verse 23 and 25, Saul begins to face, to face persecution from the Jews, and they were not happy with his stand. And we see him escaping. From verse 26 and 27, Paul goes to Jerusalem and tried to join the disciples. So he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They still judged him by his past behavior. Is that familiar? <laughs> um, you knew someone so well with their behavior. Then they got born again. And Lord, the God, Lord has, the God has surely transformed them. But if they come here and uh, even request to pray, how would we look at them? There is that temptation as humans to always judge them by their past. And it's difficult to change your reputation and Saul had such a terrible reputation with the Christians. So it was very difficult. But something happens there. Barnabas, a Jewish convert, became the bridge between Saul and the apostles. Okay? Brethren, Christians need to be supported and sometimes need to be introduced to other believers. So someone gets born again, he needs to be mentored. He needs to be nurtured by other believers. You need to hold them, introduce them to other believers so that then they can settle in. Because it is natural that we'll start, we still look at them with their past behavior in mind. So in what ways can you become a Barnabas to new believers? Is it discipleship? Is it mentorship? On verse, as it comes to the tail end, on verse 28 to 30, Saul continues to speak boldly in the name of the Lord, but the Jews were still very keen on killing him. Saul was so bold, he uses the same boldness to share the scripture, preach the gospel. And this, and he stirred up controversy. This would characterize Paul's ministry for the rest of his life. And eventually we see Saul visiting Tarsus, and that sort of helped quiet the conflict within the Jews. The church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. In summary, what are some of the key lessons? What is the trunk? the key message from this portion of the scripture. So I'll just summarize this quick enough. The first lesson is we see a complete and radical transformation in soul. His belief and his conviction is changed. Paul's personal encounter with Jesus changed his life. 
he never lost his fear's intensity. But from then on, it was channeled for the gospel. God does not call us to a lukewarm change, complete change. And sometimes we find ourselves doing the very things that we never, we are not, we are supposed to desist from unknowingly or knowingly. But God is, as we see in soul's life, there's a complete change. Just compare these two scriptures for a minute. Acts 8.3, but Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged them off. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts 19, 8, verses 8 and 9. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly. There for three months, arguing persuasively. You can read it on and on. Just see that shift. So when God, we encounter God, there is complete transformation. The second lesson from this is that Saul's transformation did not stop at his belief and conviction, but was demonstrated through his character and behavior. When there is a transformation in your behavior, there is an expectation that your behavior changes. And Paul knew that, people knew that what Saul thought was real because they could see the evidence in the way that he lived. It is important to know what the Bible teaches and how to defend the faith, but your life should back up your words. Your life should back up your words. And that speaks to lifestyle evangelism. Just by seeing how you respond to situations and circumstances, that alone can draw a brother to Christ. Just one last story. Um, if you, you remember in CU, in campus, uh, CU members were, had a certain character trait. You understand? Where if you, you'd know that this person is a CU member just by the way he behaves. And if a CU member was seen with a Mokenya in an exam hall, oh, the campus would, would go crazy. It is because there was an expectation that when you are transformed, there are things or places you not find yourself in, isn't it? Even though there were those very many extremes in, uh, in those setups, but one thing that stood out, that there was an expectation. And whenever people saw you moving away from that, they would call you out. When you encounter Christ, there should be a complete transformation just by the way you live. Lastly, soul, we see soul took time to learn from God and believers. He took time to learn from God. 
He took some time to stay with the disciple just to learn from him. And you can reference, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into the details in Galatians 1, 11 to 18. You can read that at your own time. The overall message, uh, brethren, this morning is an encounter with God is transformative. Saul encountered God and he was transformed. The key question for us, for you and I, are you willing to let God to do the same for you? And it doesn't have to be as dramatic as Saul's case. You can encounter God this morning. And he's calling us just to be available, to be used of, of him. You will never know all he can do with you until you allow him. You will never know until you allow him to have all that you are with your weaknesses, with your strengths. God is inviting you and I this morning. And maybe you, you are here, and as I invite Pastor Titus to help us um, uh, conclude this part of the, the, the sermon, maybe you are here this morning and you've never encountered Christ. This morning is an opportunity for you to ask God and make yourself a Bible and say, God, here I am. Use me. And perhaps you've encountered him and throughout the days you've, you've either moved away and, 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 and your, your character does not, is not evidence of the transformation that God has done in your life. God is able to restore. God is able to revive. I remember the songs of the Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Holy Ghost, thank you. Thank you for I see you changing lives. Thank you for I see you initiating new beginnings. Thank you for I see you transforming lives, transforming family members. Thank you for I see you defining purpose in the lives of your people. Thank you, Father, for I see you changing perspectives. Thank you for that challenge to give you our lives, to live for you. We thank you, Father. Thank you for this service, Lord, today. Thank you for the word you prepared for us through your servant, Marvin. May you bless him. And Father, I pray for our hearts that this morning our hearts will be recipients and that every word we've heard, Father, will be retained in our hearts 
and it will grow, germinate, and bear fruit in the name of Jesus. If you're here and you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're saying, I, I think I'm that soul, and I want to receive Jesus, just raise your hand, we pray with you right now. Just raise your hand, we pray with you right now, and you'll be transformed immediately. Or you're watching from home, and you're touched by this message, and you're saying, I think I can identify with soul. I've been living wrong, and I want to give my life to Jesus. Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I come before you. I accept your word. Make me, make me your child. Be my Lord and Savior. Save me in Jesus' name. If you've made that prayer, we believe you're born again. Find a uh, Bible-believing church and go, and you're also welcome to Nairobi Chapel Langata. Father, we thank you so much that your word is yes and amen. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, your word will judge our attitudes and thoughts. You will convict us this week of areas we have not surrendered to you. You will convict us this week of areas we need to grow and abide in you and abide with you. Father, you will challenge us this week to bear fruit more and more. Father, we love you. We pray for the rest of the week as tomorrow begins, as we step out each day of this, of the next week, may we step into unmatched favors, unexpected breakthroughs, divine connections, and overall success in all that we do. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now may the grace for Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.